Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you for this beautiful evening that you've given us. Tonight, as we delve into this subject, we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The mystery of death. When I was growing up in New York State, we went up to visit some friends of ours who had a camp right near the Vermont border. And we decided to go over into Vermont, and we saw an old cemetery with graves going back to the 17 and 1800s. And you know, in those days, they used to write epitaphs on the graves, on the stones. And I remember this one particular one that I saw. Matter of fact, I memorized it, but I'll read it to you. It says, As you stand there and spy, as you are now, once was I. As I am now, you will be. Prepare yourself to follow me. And as I read that, I thought to myself, Ooh, that's spooky. And then I looked closer, and somebody had written right on the, right on the top of it. And it said, To follow you is not my bent until I know just where you went. (laughs) This idea of death is very important in the book of Revelation because the last thing to die is death in the book of Revelation. And we'll be touching on that a little bit more later But everybody pretty much knows that death is inevitable. The only way that we're going to get out of it is if Jesus comes while we are yet alive. And then we can step from this life into the next life without ever tasting death. Enoch did. And Elijah did. Praise the Lord. I I hope that I can too. What about you? Someone once said, well, man, it must, it must be awfully boring to live forever. Well, you know what? I think it beats the alternative. As we look at this, we can't help but be saddened every time someone passes. Death is something that comes to every one of us at one or another point in time. She was less than two months old when she died. Official diagnosis was SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Her grandmother had laid her down in her crib, and she went to do something. And when she came back, the little child had suffocated. What a terrible tragedy that brought to the family. It wasn't long after that, at the funeral, that... Baby Laura's three-year-old brother watched them as they lowered that casket into the ground. And as they did, he, he turned to someone and said, why is she still sleeping? When is she going to wake up? Why are they putting her down in the ground? Someone tried to comfort him but didn't know how to comfort a child. My friends... The only comfort we can really have is to know 
what the Word of God says. For you see, there is one who has conquered death. And because he conquered, he wants us to conquer. But let's go all the way back the other direction. Instead of going to Revelation at the end of time, let's first go back to Genesis and see what death is all about. Now, I want you to understand that in discussing this subject tonight, a lot of times people have a hard time with this because of their own personal experiences with death. And I want you to understand, I'm trying to be sensitive of people's feelings, but I must tell you the truth of what the Scripture says about death because there are some very strange interpretations that have crept in to our culture and into even the Christian church today. As we go back to Genesis 1.1, we know that God created the world and he created our first parents on the sixth day of the week. Notice in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now look at that carefully. Let who? Us. Last time I knew, that was a plural term, right? Let us make man in our image. Now, someone once said, oh, well, that's talking about the angels. Well, I don't read anything in the Bible about angels creating anybody. Do you? I don't ever remember reading that. So who is the us? And then if you look down a little bit further, it says, and so in his image, he made man. It shifts from us to him. It shifts from plural to singular. Why? The Father, the Son, and even the Holy Spirit were involved in the creation. The Father commissioned that the world be made. He commissioned that man be made. It was through Jesus Christ, the Son, who was the engineer of the project, who actually brought it into being. And so you see a shift there as the creation story goes on. Why? Because Christ had life in himself, and so does the Father. In Jesus Christ is life original, unborrowed, and underived. He was there in the beginning with the Father. Notice in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But, notice that but, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve were created outside of the garden, according to the scripture. But God put them into the garden. The garden was the first sanctuary on earth. And it was there that their creator met with them and communicated with them. And notice also, He said, I give you all these trees to eat of, but leave that one alone. You know what? 
there seems to be a bent in human nature today that when somebody tells you don't, what does that mean? Do, right? Did you ever notice a little kid? Now, don't step over that line. Look this way, look that way. Isn't that our human nature? And so it was here. He said, you can have all the trees, but that one that's in the middle, just leave that one alone. It was a very simple test, but they flunked. Notice here, it says, you shall eat all of this. God's blessings were many. Notice that it also says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, what that says in the original language is, dying thou shalt die. That's important because some people say, well, God said the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And he didn't die. He lived for a while, quite a while afterwards. Therefore, God is wrong and he lied. No, that's not what the scripture says in the original. It says, dying thou shalt die. And Adam began to wax old. He began to lose his robe of light. And what the joy and happiness he once had now turned to sadness. When he saw the first leaves falling off the tree, when he first saw a bird drop to the ground, he knew it was his fault. I can just imagine the guilt that he must have felt. That innocence that he once had was now gone. Dying thou shalt die. Now notice He puts another word in here, surely die. It's a certainty that this is going to happen. Why? God was telling him ahead of time, you've got all of this, leave that one thing alone, or you will die. And that's the one thing. It was a test of his faith, whether or not he trusted God. And we find that he failed in that. Eve, we find, was tempted by the serpent, it tells us. Now, it's interesting in the story, this is Genesis 3.1. It says that the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The very way he phrases it, puts into it a word of doubt, you see. He phrases it in such a way, did God really say that you can't eat of all the trees of the garden? And Eve feels obligated to correct the record. And she said, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but of the tree in the midst, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Now, notice something. Eve also adds to what God said. And Eve says, and we cannot even touch it. Now, I don't see that in the original statement by God. But when Eve said it, She says, we're not to even touch it. I can just picture the serpent saying, oh, can't even touch it, huh? And he starts munching on the fruit. 
Didn't hurt me. God, therefore, must not be telling the truth. You see, what happened? She added to the word of God, and the devil played on it. And he says, look, I'm not dead. Try it. You'll like it. And so Eve takes a bite also. What was she actually doing? She added to the word of God, and we learned that a long time ago. You don't add to or subtract from the word of God. I mean, God may have actually said that, but it's not recorded in the scriptures, him saying that. And as we look a little further at Genesis 3, 3, 4, it again emphasizes that point. But he says it a little differently. God said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Notice what he does. He just puts one little word in it. You shall not surely die. This is the first lie in the Bible. This is the first deception in the Bible. And this is a deception that has carried on through the centuries. Sometimes it looks good. Sometimes people try to make it sound so beautiful. But in reality, it is a deception. You see... There are those who say that you live on and on even in spite of your sin. We can sin and still have eternal life. You know, when a person dies, there are some who say, well, when he dies, he goes to heaven. When he dies, he goes to hell. Or he goes to purgatory. And there he stays. Sometimes in purgatory, you're there for so many years, and then you advance back to heaven. But the point is, even after you're dead, you get to live. What is that saying? It contradicts what God said. There are some who say that when you die, that's it. You're gone forever. But you see... God said that he will restore that life that was lost. So we need to ask ourselves, what does the scripture really say? What is the biblical teaching on death? There are those who believe that when a person dies, their soul or their their spirit lives on. And because of this, you can get in touch with those who are dead. That's why there are seances. You see, spiritism teaches that you get to live even after you die. You know, even if a person lives in hell for all eternity, he still gets to live after he's dead. I mean, bad breath is better than no breath at all, right? And their circumstances may not be desirable, but they still get to live. Whether it's in heaven or whether it's in flames, they still get to live according to that philosophy. But what does the scripture say? First off, the scripture tells us we should not go to seances. We are not to go to the devil to find out what death is like. You know why? Because the devil's never died. Think on it. 
The devil has never died. How does he know what death is like? But Jesus has died. And he overcame death. He's the authority on what happens when a person dies. Let's look at some of the scripture texts that apply to it. Let's see what Job said way back. Job is the first book of the Bible to be written. And even before Genesis. And in Job 7th chapter, notice what it says. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down into the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. It says, nor shall his place know him anymore. What's it saying? It says, when a person dies, he doesn't come back to his home. He doesn't come back to his relatives. He doesn't communicate with them. Well, let's read on. 1622. It says, for when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. He believed that when he died, he would no longer be able to be in contact with those who are alive. He would go down into his grave. Now, the question is, what does the Bible continue to say about a resurrection? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But notice here in Genesis 2-7, what it says in Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life. And man, what's that word? Became a living soul. Look at that carefully. Because it's been so often misquoted. Notice, the dust of the earth plus the breath and he became a living soul. It doesn't say that God put a living soul in him. He became a living soul. You want to see a living soul? Ta-da! You're looking at one. You see. It's a very simple formula. The dust of the ground, the breath of God, equals a living soul. A living soul is a living creature. You've heard it said that we came from dust and we go back to dust. I remember when my kids were small, my son said to me, Dad, is it true that we came from dust and we go back to dust? And I said, yeah. He says, well, I don't know if he's coming or going, but there's somebody under my bed. You see, but there's truth in that. We come from dust, we go back to dust. Notice what it says in Psalm 146, verse 4. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. We came from the earth. In that very day, his what? His thoughts perish. In plain words, he stops thinking when he dies. How can we go to the dead to find out things when they can't think. Let's look further. 
dust of the ground, the breath of life, equals the living soul. And it's interesting in the scripture, this not only applies to human beings, but we find that also in the scriptures, it mentions the souls of the deep when it's talking about the fish. Fish are living creatures, you see. In plain words, the Bible has been misinterpreted. There have been philosophies that have come in from other sources that have crept in to put a shade that the scripture doesn't really verify. And you check these out. Don't take my word for it. That's the problem. Too many people are taking the word of preachers. Not that I'm trying to tell you not to listen to preachers. But what I'm saying is, check them against the word of God. Remember the Bereans in the New Testament. It says in there, it says they were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they checked out daily what Paul was preaching to make sure what Paul was saying was in harmony with the word of God. And so this is what God is calling us to do. Let's look a little further. Ecclesiastes 12.7. Now, I hear people call that Ecclesiastics. No, it's Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastics is a book that's in the Apocrypha. So, they're two different books. This is in the Bible, Ecclesiastes 12.7. Notice what it says. When we die, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now, notice what goes back to God is the spirit. Now, what is the spirit? Is the spirit the soul? It doesn't say soul. It says spirit. What does the word spirit mean? Notice Job clarifies it for us. And he uses a little bit of poetry, parallelism. What he says in one line, he repeats, in other words, in the second line. They go together. All right. All the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. What is the spirit in your nostrils? It's the breath of God, you see. We even talk about tires being pneumatic tires. There's a disease called pneumonia. It comes from the word penuma. The word penuma is breath. It's air. It's the breath of God breathed into us. So then, the dust of the ground, if you take away the breath, what do you have? A corpse. What's the opposite of a living soul? It's a corpse. Did you ever stop to think that in creation, God took the dirt, he breathed into it, And that dirt became a living person. So what is the opposite of creation? It's death. Death is creation in reverse. You are being uncreated. And if God breathed the breath into you in the first place, in the day of resurrection, he can breathe it back in again. You see. So, The dust of the ground minus the breath 
is a dead body or a corpse. Now, what's it say in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16? He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who, what? Alone has immortality. How many times have we heard people say, well, my immortal soul. You find that expression in the scriptures. Look for it. You won't find it. You won't find in the scripture that it says immortal soul. Because who alone is immortal? It's God, you see. God wants to give you immortality as a gift. But if you are immortal, you're not going to die, right? How can you have an immortal soul and die? You see. And notice what it says here. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone is wise. God alone is the source of wisdom. God alone is immortal. You see. So, this is the reason why we should not try to contact dead people. As a matter of fact, the scripture speaks against that because witchcraft teaches immortality of the soul. And there's a curse that goes along with engaging in witchcraft. We need to be careful of that. Notice it says in Romans 2, 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good and seek for immortality. In plain words, we are to do good. We are to live a sanctified life with the prospect of looking forward to the time when Jesus comes back and he will give us eternal life. If you are among those who are alive when Jesus comes back again, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be changed and you will step from this life into the next life without having to suffer death. But in the meantime, there will be people who will go down into their graves. That's why we really pray and look forward to the coming of Jesus soon. Ezekiel 18.4 says, Now here again, if I have an immortal soul, then how do I uh, harmonize that with what Ezekiel 18.4 says? It says, The soul who sins shall what? The soul who sins shall die. So if a person sins, the penalty for sin is death. And by the way, this is a problem for people who believe in evolution. Because if the penalty for sin is death, then death came into existence after the first sin, right? Well, you see, evolution teaches that things died all the way up until man was created. So therefore, how could it be the penalty for sin if death preceded sin? You see the conflict? That's why people who are quote-unquote theistic evolutionists have a problem. Because evolution says here 
We were created good. We were created perfect. But man has been going downhill. Evolution says, no, we were created uh, imperfect. We were slime old. Okay, we were created simple. And we are progressing to perfection. So the theistic evolutionist has a problem. Because he doesn't know if he's going down or if he's going up. He's stuck in the middle. You see. And so we find that that text, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, has a lot of implications to our times today. Now, what about some of the things we hear about people who have had near-death experiences or they died and they came back again? We hear this a lot. Some of this, of course, quite frankly, is pure, uh, what can I say? Some of it I question. Others, I do think that there is some spiritualism involved in some of this. I do think that there are some supernatural things that happen. And because, don't forget, the devil can perform miracles too. But how many times is it because it might be a medication, it might be a a certain circumstance that they're experiencing that leads to this. I personally had a near-death experience. I was only about five or six years old. I remember we went swimming in the, uh, it was actually uh, a reservoir. We shouldn't have been swimming in the reservoir. But we were swimming in the reservoir. And my dad was with me, and he was swimming too. And I was walking along, and I stepped in a hole, and I went down, and I didn't know how to swim. And I remember coming up and <gasps> gasping for breath, and I went down blah, 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 again. I came up, blah, 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 back down again. And all of a sudden, my dad was far away from me. He, it took him a while to get over to me. And I remember that all of a sudden, I began to think to myself, is this what death is like? And I began to I began to kind of float a little bit and I could actually see myself floating in the water. And I said, Ah, oh, this is this is so relaxing. And then somebody came along and grabbed me by the hair and pulled me out. And that's the reason I got that false no. <laughs> but He reached down and he grabbed me and he pulled me up and took me and pumped the water out of me. But, you know, I actually experienced seeing myself in there. What was the cause of it? It was a lack of oxygen to my brain. Now, some people are on medication. Some people are on drugs. Now, it's also interesting that people who are atheists, people who are Buddhists, they oftentimes see the same thing. Regardless of even if they believe in God, whether or not they believe in Jesus or not, oftentimes people will see the same thing. So we find that there's been a lot of scientific investigation on this. And this next quotation that comes from the Washington Post in September 18th of 2002. So it's not that terribly old 
It says a new study suggests these out-of-body and near-death experiences may be influenced by a portion of the brain misfiring under stress. Well, I was drowning. I guess that was stressful. You know? How much of that is true, I don't know. I'll leave that up to the scientists. But the point of the matter is that does that mean just because I had a near-death experience that the scripture is invalid? You see, if I stayed there longer enough, believe me, you wouldn't have been able to revive me and I, you wouldn't have been able to communicate with me. In the New Testament, what does it say? In Acts 2.29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Now, this is New Testament times. Book of Acts, right? Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. I have seen David's tomb. When I went to Israel, when I went to Jerusalem, I saw David's tomb. And notice what else it tells us here in Psalm 115:17. The dead do not praise the Lord. I thought when I die, I go to heaven and I, I sing praises to God all the time. But notice what it says. The dead don't praise the Lord, nor any who go down in silence. Now, when it says any, it means the good people and the bad people. They both go down to the same place. Silence. What is it? It's the grave. Notice when Jesus was on earth, his good friend Lazarus died. Mary and Martha, it was their brother. And notice what it says in John 11, 11 through 14. <clears throat> they came to him and they wanted him to go and heal Lazarus. And he took his time deliberately. Isn't that interesting? He deliberately took his time. He continued to heal people. Why? Because he was going to do something even greater than heal him. Notice it says, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. So what does it say? Jesus was comparing death to sleep, you see. But they thought that he was speaking about uh, taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus had to be very frank and straightforward with them. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. When I was in college, my dorm room was right on the corner of where the main highway went this way and the side road went off at an angle, 90 degree angle. And down the road a ways was the science building. And I was in bed, uh, I hadn't gone to sleep yet, but my roommate, I had an Egyptian roommate, <clears throat> and my roommate, he went to bed and slept like log. He was a biology major, and he had 
to get up early to go do a 7 o'clock lab. And I had been working on the waxing crew, so I got to bed late. And all of a sudden, I heard the fire engines. And they came right past our window. And they turned the corner, and they went down the road that was on the side of the dorm. And being the nosy person I am, I quickly got out of bed, got my clothes on, and took off. Left my roommate there. He was still asleep. He didn't even hear the fire engines going by and the siren and the bells and all that. He was out. And I went down, and sure enough, the science building was on fire. And I stood there, and I watched the whole thing and finally, when they had it pretty much out, I thought, well, I better get to bed. i got to get up for classes. So I headed back, and I went to bed. Well, long about 6.15 or so, my roommate got up, he got dressed, and he headed out to his lab. And probably 10 minutes later, he came running back. He said, hey, Bob, he said, guess what? The science building burned last night. I don't have any class. I said, yeah, I know. He said, how do you know? You've been in bed. I said, yeah, I went down and saw it burn. <laughs> and he said, when did all this happen? I said, last night. He said, well, why didn't I hear it? He was dead to the world, you see. He was sleeping so soundly, he didn't hear a thing. And basically, our friend Lazarus when he went into the grave, you do not find that when Jesus resurrected him, you do not find anything where Lazarus tells what he saw while he was in the grave. He doesn't speak of any bright light. He doesn't speak of seeing angels. He doesn't speak of hearing glorious music or anything. Why? Because he was out. Let's Look carefully here. So, biblical death, according to what Jesus says, and what Job says, and what the book of Acts says, death is like a sleep. And in John 11, 11 through 14, Jesus said to her, speaking of Martha, Lazarus' sister, he, says, uh, he said to her, your brother will rise again. Now notice what she says. Jesus says, your brother Lazarus will rise again. And Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection when? At the last day. In plain words, Martha, who was a good friend of Jesus, she believed that there would be a resurrection of the dead, but it would be at the end of time. And she looked forward to that. And Jesus says, I'm going to make an exception. He says, watch. I am the life. I'm the one who calls people out of their graves. And he goes over and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me Though he may die, he will live. He goes over 
to that tomb. And he specifically says something. If Jesus went over to the, to, in that cemetery and he said, come forth, I think you'd have pop, 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 like popcorn. I think you'd have people popping up. But he doesn't do that. He specifies specifically whom he wanted to come up. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth from the grave. It was a special resurrection. It was a down payment to remind them that there's a general resurrection at the end of time. And this was also a rebuke to the Sadducees. You see, there was a difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were both religious leaders. But the Pharisees believed in angels. They believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in angels. They did not believe in a resurrection. Because they did not believe in a resurrection, they did not believe in eternal life. So they were sad, you see. But anyway, the, the resurrection was the great promise we look forward to. That's why in the scripture it's called the blessed hope. The blessed hope is when Jesus comes back, he raises the dead once to life once again. He says in Psalm 17, 15, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. This is back in the time of David. David's writing. He says, I'm looking forward of waking up from my grave and I will be like you. I will be awakened to immortality. Daniel 12.2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Now, Daniel, Old Testament, he knew that the dead were sleeping. And so we find even Isaiah in his time spoke of the resurrection of the dead. Look what Ecclesiastes, this is Solomon talking. In 9.5, Ecclesiastes 9.5, he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know everything. Is that what it says? The dead know nothing. If the dead know nothing, why try to communicate with them? Revelation has a lot to say about a resurrection that's going to take place. Where are our loved ones now? They are sleeping in the grave. And you know, some people say, oh, I can't stand the thought of thinking that my grandmother's in a cold, damp, wet grave. There's a lot of emotion attached to this subject. But you know something? Grandma can't feel that cold wetness. She can't feel anything. She's asleep. She's asleep until Jesus himself awakens her in that great and glorious day. She's not suffering. But if let's, let's say she did go to heaven. 
let's say she is conscious and you can communicate with her. Let's say she's up in heaven and she's looking down. I wonder what Adolf Hitler's mother must have thought looking down at her little baby boy who became one of the world's worst tyrants. I wonder at at Al Capone's mother looking down on little baby Al. He was so cute and sweet. And here he, he's a great criminal. I wonder how many parents who would be looking down and seeing the suffering and the pain that their children are going through. My friends, if that's the case, then heaven would be hell for them. It would be a time of stress. It would, be a, it would not be a place of joy and happiness. But the fact is, our loved ones are asleep. And I know my mother went through quite a prolonged illness before she died. But you know, it brought me a great deal of peace to know nothing can harm her. She's asleep until Jesus comes again and wakes her up. And when she is awakened, she'll be in better health and better condition than she ever went into that grave. It's a time of joy. It's the great waking up morning. It's the time of restoration. By the way, it's interesting that if you read about the resurrection in the Syriac translation of the Bible, it doesn't call it the restu- I mean the uh, resurrection. It calls it the resuscitation. Isn't that interesting? That when Jesus comes back, he resuscitates the dead. What does that mean? He breathes the breath. He gives them artificial respiration. He puts the breath back in them again. And they come up in bodies. If he created us out of the dirt in the first place, he can create us out of the dirt again. He, this time, I won't need these old glasses. You won't need a walker. You won't need a cane. Maybe you have a leg amputated. When you come up, you come up with both of them. You see, a new body, but the character that you uh, have formed in this life, he'll return that to you. You will be resuscitated from what you were. Therefore, now we got a problem because there's a lot of people in the world today who are communicating with spirits. I know one president's wife claimed that she used to communicate with Eleanor Roosevelt. Although Eleanor Roosevelt had been dead for many years. I wonder who she's talking to. And I can think of another religious leader who said that he used to have regular communication with Jesus' mother, Mary. But if Mary is sleeping, and there's nothing in the scriptures that said Mary is doing anything else but sleeping in a grave. It does not tell anywhere in the scripture about Mary coming forth out of her grave. Then who are they communicating with, you see? If the dead are in the grave, there's a lot of these apparitions that are appearing. And 
I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But you're going to see more of them. Medjugorje, um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and other places where there are appearances of Mary. You, there are some places where you may even see the appearance of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, if anyone walks on the face of the earth and says, I am Jesus, he's automatically not. You know why? We'll touch on that in another presentation. But when Jesus comes back again, he never touches the earth. Anybody who walks on the surface of the earth claims to be Jesus Christ is automatically not. He's an imposter. And so we find that who are they communicating with? Is this actually many of these apparitions, are they coming from above or are they coming from powers from below? Because the devil is trying to get across the idea that the dead are not dead. They're still alive. And we just need to get in touch with them. Yes, there are many people who have gone to sleep believing in Jesus with the great hope of the resurrection. And notice what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And people say, see there, we've got a text. It proves that the dead are alive. They're absent from the body, but they're present with the Lord. Yes, that's what the text says. But what does the text mean? Let's look at it in its context. Absent from the body and present with the Lord is simply saying, hey, I can't be with you physically, but I'm with you in heart. It's an idiom. And Paul uses it in other situations. Similar wording uh, for the same purpose. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. He said, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. When is the last trump? It's when Jesus comes. Those who are alive on earth, by the time you... Today we would say by a, a snap of the fingers. That's how fast. We will be changed from this body that cannot die. I mean, that can die into a body that cannot die. Those who are in the grave will come up out of the grave with bodies that cannot decay and cannot die any longer. That's the great hope we're looking forward to. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ and will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The dead in Christ will come up, and they can die no longer, and then we will be changed. Look at First Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring uh, with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive 
and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are, who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Is this a secret coming of Jesus? Is this a secret rapture? You see, the word rapture means nothing more than caught up. When are the righteous raptured or caught up to meet Jesus? It's when Jesus comes back again. And it's going to be not a secret thing. It's going to be a shout with the voice of an archangel. When Jesus comes back, he speaks with the voice of the archangel. He's commanding the angels as their commander-in-chief. He says, go get them, boys. He also says to Satan and his angels, who would try to prevent this, back off. Because the devil's an angel, don't forget. And the devil has to back off. And the angels come down and gather up the righteous who have been resurrected or changed. I don't know if it'll be this, I don't know if it'll be your guardian angel. But wouldn't it be nice to see your guardian angel? The one who's been with you all through life? I'll, I'll know mine. He's the one that pulled his hair out. <laughs> Especially when I was a kid, you know. But anyway, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if it's your, your guardian angel that comes down and gets you? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They come out and they rise up to meet the Lord in the air. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's the word rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Notice he doesn't touch the ground. He doesn't come down here. We go up there. That's why he says, if you see somebody on CNN or Fox News saying that he's Jesus, turn the thing off. Don't even bother watching it. It's a deception. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort. The word comfort is an old word. It means strengthen, fortify one another with these words. This is what brings us hope at a funeral. The hope is that our loved one is sleeping, but God has not forgotten them. And when Jesus comes again, he's going to remember them. What about the thief on the cross? Remember what Jesus said to him in Luke 23, 42. People say, then he, the thief, said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And notice what Jesus said. Now, you've got to remember that in, in the original language, there's no punctuation marks. The punctuation marks were put in by the translators. And notice what it says here. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, or truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now notice that comma, I say unto you today. Now, what's it saying? I'm telling you today, someday you'll be with me in paradise. Now, if you put that comma in front of today, it says, Assuredly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see the difference? One, if you put the comma there, it says someday, I'm telling you now, someday you'll be with me in paradise. 
if you put it here, it says, you've got to be in paradise that very day. But we've got a problem if that's the case. Because if we put that comma in the wrong place, we've got to remember something. And we've got to remember that Jesus, when he died, he went into his grave. And it wasn't until he was resurrected from that grave, he talked to Mary Magdalene. And he said, don't touch me. Don't delay me because I have not yet ascended to my Father. You see, Jesus himself didn't go to heaven on Friday. It wasn't until he was resurrected on Sunday morning that he ascends to his Father to report in that, to, you know, find acceptance with his Father. So, Jesus... How could he tell the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in heaven when he himself didn't go until two days later, you see. So that comma that was put in by the translators is oftentimes, you'll find some translations will put it in one place and other translations will put it in another. Jesus himself said, I'm giving you the assurance now that when I come into my kingdom, there's a place for you. My friends, there's a place for you in God's kingdom too. And whether we're among those who are alive to see Jesus coming or whether age and death overtakes us, it does not affect our future. For the Lord has promised that he will not forget his children. He may let them sleep. You may have to sleep Two years, a hundred years before Jesus comes. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I think it's going to be soon. And he will call you forth from that grave. He said, my reward is with me to give you a good reward or a bad reward according to what is your works or your life. My friends, how many of you want to be ready and to receive a positive reward from Jesus? By the grace of God, trust him, lean on him. He is the resurrection and the life. And he's the one that will have a place for you in his kingdom. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, help us to have our trust in our Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. To lean on your word. To claim your promises. And Lord, we look forward to seeing you face to face. Come into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.